Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. EJ, is there a bigger snake in the grass in the NFC than the Minnesota Vikings? I I can't recall seeing another roster in this conference this year that is so talented, that is also talked about so little. And I don't know if it's because it's a you know first year staff, first year GM. Kirk Cousins is, uh, let's just say, a hotly contested quarterback uh, among NFL media. I love this team. They're great from top to bottom. They're, they have talent everywhere. I think they're awesome. And yet nobody is remotely considering that they're going to be challenging the rest of the NFC. I'm sure they have their reasons, but for me, if I was anybody in this conference, Packers included, NFC West included, Eagles included, they're not a team I'd want to play against. They're really, really good. Top to bottom on paper, I completely agree with you. I think it comes from the perennial underachievement of not getting over that hump. So they're going to have to prove that, and it's going to be tough for the first-year head coach. But their roster on paper, as I was going through it to put the agenda together, it's flat scary. Like, it is good all the way. We know that the offense and the skill positions are good. They get a lot of press. We've talked about how much we like their offensive line. lot of investment in draft picks there in recent years look to be coming to fruition and you get to the defense you're like ah they lost a bunch of guys yeah but they replaced them too (laughs) like they are good front to back side to side on defense they have as scary a skill position core as any team in the conference for sure they are going to have to get over that hump of they've had some very talented rosters before and not been able to seal the deal can they do it with a new staff? We'll see. It's probably the main question. But when you're just looking at them on paper, yeah, no, I wouldn't want to hit them on a neutral field. Mm-mm. Well, today we're going to be looking at everything they've done this offseason to, I wouldn't even say remake this roster, just reload this roster since the end of last season and you know, kind of put themselves in the conversation for NFC contention. Um, it's, it's going to be a jam-packed episode, so really I'm just going to jump right into it because I really don't want to waste any time here. Uh, first things first, we have to start off with our 2021 recap in terms of how we got here to put themselves in position for all these moves they've made because uh, can't really make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And some eggs were broken last year, to say the least. They only finished eight and nine. They were second in the division, uh, fairly decent at home at five and three, but uh, pretty awful on the road at three and six. Uh, it was time for a change. It absolutely was time for a change. I like Zimmer as a coach. But I think uh, I think he had outstayed his welcome, especially 
it sounds like in the locker room, um, whatever whatever unity there used to be in that building, it seemed like that had slipped away and you know, maybe the message got stale. I just didn't get the sense that, that, that a lot of the vets really believed in Zimmer anymore. And, and so, you know, the, the tough decision was made to, to move on and, you know, try to get some new blood, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which is the, the trend in the NFL of, you know, go find Sean McVay's offensive coordinator and hire him to be your, your new head coach. I, I get it. I totally get it. It was a disappointing season, all things considered. Even with the injuries, 8-9 and nine was not where Vikings fans expected them to be. And I think that I think that where they're at now, with how the talent has shaped up on this roster, you know, the the style of offense that we expect them to run under Kevin O'Connell, the road was hard, but I think the destination was worth it. And I think Vikings fans, even though they, they put up a lot of bullshit over the last few years, they're going to be happy with where this ship is going. I hope so, for their sake. They have definitely endured a lot of disappointing finishes over the last few years. And I think it was time with Zimmer. I, I like Zimmer as a coach, but as a head coach, he was not able to get them over the hump with all that talent. And last year, we said in our divisional preview Talking about the Vikings, we said he's got to do it this year or the seat's going to get real hot because where do you go from there? If you have all this talent and you don't get this team over the hub, what's left? And the answer is mm, there's the door. And we're going to find somebody that can fire up this offense, this very talented offense. Hopefully, that's the that's the great hope with Kevin O'Connell. And Take them one step further. This team needs to challenge for the divisional title. There's no reason for with the way it's constructed that they should not, and they hadn't and hadn't and hadn't. So it was just time, one reason or another. We're not in the building. We don't know. Uh, most people aren't. But from the outside looking in, how do you run it back and say, well, we're just going to do the same thing over again, add a couple players and keep everything else the same? And it, no, that wasn't going to – it just wasn't going to fly anymore. It was time for a shift. Looking at their their new power structure that they've moved on to from the, the Zimmer regime, I really think that they've made an effort to to not just kind of move on, but really change their approach, almost going the opposite way in terms of how they handle you know roster construction and philosophy and even just overall culture. It's a it's a younger building. It's a more new school building. Um, it's a more data driven building. You know, new general manager Quesi uh, Adafo Mensa who comes from the Browns, and before that he was with the 49ers, and even before that, you know, he was an undergrad and econ at Princeton, and then got um, his master's at Stanford, worked on Wall Street. Like, he's very, uh, very data-driven in his approach, and, you know, for lack of a better term, knows how to balance a checkbook without giving out terrible contracts. Um, and so I think that he's going to bring kind of a new approach to how the roster is constructed that maybe Vikings fans aren't used to, in terms of how much they use analytics, how much they use, you know, GPS data, because that was a big thing that they did in Cleveland when, when Questy was there was, you know, some of the innovative things that they would build off of uh, telemetry data um, to the point where combine times almost didn't really even matter for the Browns. And now they're probably not going to matter as much for, for the Vikings either because they have all that data. They don't really need traditional 40 times. So I, I think that that kind of shift 
from old school to new school with the Vikings, even down to head coach Kevin O'Connell. Again, you're going from a defensive, older defensive coach to a younger offensive coach who, you know, is uh, is running the hot new thing in the NFL, which is anything related to Sean McVay. And, you know, we're, we're running 11 personnel 80% of the time when we're running fucking duo out of that because we can because we have receivers that block really well and, and all the receivers for the Vikings block really well um, just like all the receivers for the Rams block really well when they had Cup and Robert Woods and and everything like that so it, it, they're going to be one of the few teams that, that run that style of offense hell I did a film room episode about that just a couple weeks ago you know why the Rams run game really didn't look like anybody else because they use so much 11 personnel but still use 12 personnel running concepts the vikings are going to do that too so vast vast differences compared to last year uh you know with with how they would run that that typical wide zone and play action type stuff gonna look a lot different uh assistant head coach mike Pettin, been around forever been a lot of different places uh you know comes from that rex ryan coaching tree so very aggressive defensive mind he's going to work with ed donatel pretty closely i imagine donatel comes from you know more the i don't want to say conservative but less blitz happy uh vic fangio side of things so i'm curious <laughs> to see how Petten and Ed donatel kind of mix together there either way a lot of odd fronts i would say a lot of five-man surfaces you know with two linebackers behind him probably a significant amount of two high safeties especially considering who their safeties are um but we'll we'll talk about their first round pick in a little while because I think he's going to play a even more pivotal role than people think there. Uh, but I would imagine that they're going to complement each other pretty well. And then on offense, in terms of offensive coordinator, uh, Wes Phillips, speaking of former Rams coaches, was the tight ends coach and uh, passing game coordinator under O'Connell, under Sean McVay, and uh, also the son of Wade Phillips, grandson of Bum Phillips. So he's the third generation Phillips. Uh, to be a coordinator in the NFL, potentially a head coach someday soon, considering how often people from this tree get hired to be a head coach, but we'll see. And then uh, Matt Daniels as special teams coordinator also in year one. So it is new blood from top to bottom, GM, head coach, coordinator, all that kind of stuff. But just because they're new blood doesn't mean they're not experienced, doesn't mean that they're not smart and innovative. I'm really excited about the the upper levels of management for this team because I think that some of these fresh ideas and kind of you know progressive roster building strategies were sorely needed in Minnesota and at least early returns are extremely promising. They provided a lot of sparks and there were a lot of sparks needed. Uh, this this approach in Minnesota, although sort of tried and true or stay the course, had started to lose sparks. It wasn't exciting and it wasn't creating an exciting product on the field. I think it's interesting when people talk about analytics and analytics versus anything. Analytics isn't really versus anything. It's in addition to things. When you talk about stuff like GPS data, it's full circle, right? You say, oh, combine times don't matter as much anymore. We always had those debates when somebody ran real fast or real slow at the combine compared to how we thought they looked on film. And we would say, trust the film. He's things like he's fast with the ball in his hands or, you know, well, he was playing against this 4-4 corner and he beat him. So he's faster than that. When you have GPS data, it just confirms the field stuff 
So all the he sprinted fast and short stuff at the combine becomes irrelevant, right? Because you just confirm the old eye test of, man, he never got caught from behind in the SEC. He's pretty damn fast, right? Well, we know exactly how fast he is because we have the GPS data. So it's not like analytics fights with film. It just confirms film and it comes full circle. And I think it'll be fun uh, for this team to have that basis of construction and then be pouring all that into what is now a very familiar make of a type system or tree with O'Connell at the helm, because there's a lot of similarities. You mentioned the blocking in the wide receivers. We talked about the stack skill positions at the top. Uh, they play indoors on a fast surface. Like there's a lot of advantages that are going to line up to that type of system and should sort of fit right in. It's exciting. It's exciting. The coaching staff and the roster combined should provide some bump on the offensive side, and they need that to get over the hump. Uh, assistant coaches under that top layer, by the way, fascinating mix of former players. <laughs> I'm talking really experienced former players, yeah, as well as some extremely experienced assistants that have been around for, I'm not talking about just one decade, but two three decades a piece like this this whole staff is uh it's just full of guys that that have been around forever it's a fun staff the notable coaches on offense let's start off with speaking of long tenured folk keenan mccardell the wide receiver most nfl fans will recognize him he played 17 seasons in the nfl Average career in the NFL is like 3.8 years. Uh, mm -hmm. 17 <laughs> seasons for anyone is a ridiculous run. Uh, two-time Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl champ. Unbelievable run for Keenan McCardell. Gets Has an embarrassment of riches in Minnesota in terms of the folks he's working with. He has a very good room uh, to help shape there. Chris Cooper, the offensive line coach, former offensive uh, O-lineman for eight seasons with the Broncos himself. Again, very talented group in his room. He He's no shortage of players there. Uh, Curtis Modkins, the running back and run game coordinator, 14 years of NFL coaching experience with seven different teams, well-experienced in a wide variety of systems. And Gerard Johnson, the assistant QB coach. Lots of NFL fans will remember Gerard Johnson because he played for lots of NFL teams. He also played in three leagues. He played in the NFL, the CFL, and the UFL. He was a UDFA. Three cheers for UDFAs that have long careers. I love that. Spent time with the Cowboys, Ravens, Bears, Seahawks, Steelers, Eagles, Alouettes, and the Mountain Lions. Yes, that was the UFL team. So, <laughs> been around the block is an understatement with a guy like Gerard Johnson. Going to bring a lot of experience to helping coach the quarterbacks there in Minnesota. On the defense and special teams side, Greg Minuski, inside linebacker coach for the Vikings. 32nd year of coaching in the NFL. Not 32nd year of coaching total. 32nd year of coaching at the NFL level. Huh? Unreal. Three decades. Insane. And on top of that, played 12 years in the NFL with Washington, the Vikes, and the Chiefs. So talking about, you know, 42, 44 years worth of combined player and coaching experience within the league. 44 years. One guy. Unreal. Lot. Lot. He's, he's forgotten more about football than we'll probably ever know. Uh, Chris Rumpf, the defensive line coach, 20 years of coaching experience, and the father of current Chargers 
off uh, outside linebacker Chris Rumpf the second. So saw that name and was like, wait, I just scouted him. He can't be a coach with the Vikings yet. Oh, it's his dad. Okay. I feel way better now. Um, <laughs> there's plenty of those situations where I'm like, no, it is that guy. Oh, no, I'm really old. Feel terrible. This one, nice save at the end. Good little twist. And then Steve Donatel is the quality control coach for defense. He is Ed Donatel's son. Uh, and Steve's brother, Tom, is an assistant defensive back coach with the Chargers. So, again, family affair for the Donatels. Uh, you mentioned and he spent time with Vic Fangio, was a longtime Fangio lieutenant, uh, coached the secondary in Chicago when Fangio was there. So, yeah, you'll see plenty of too high stuff with Ed Donatel and the the mix, uh, the mesh, let's say, between him and Mike Pettin is going to be fascinating TV on the defensive side of the ball for the Vikings this year. I just want to see how much they blitz because – I know that Donatel's the defensive coordinator. He has full control of the defense. But, you know, Mike Pettin is the assistant head coach. And, you know, I, I, I have to imagine that when it's third and seven, there is going to be a debate between uh, are, are we sending six or are we sending four? They certainly have the talent to kind of go either way with that, you know, looking at their depth chart because their defensive line of, you know, Zadarius Smith, Harrison Phillips, Dalvin Tomlinson, Armin Watts, um, you know, Daniel Hunter on the other side. We really love Otomewo from Minnesota. Like, they, they don't necessarily have to blitz, but they do have some linebackers that are really good at blitzing. So I'm I'm very curious to see what they do on third down because it is kind of a, a smorgasbord of opportunities there. They can really do whatever they want. One thing really quick. Today's episode is sponsored by Upside. For every purchase that you make on gas or groceries or even dining out, all of which are obviously incredibly expensive these days, Upside will actually help you earn cash back on those purchases. In particular for me, I go from the ass end of Orange County all the way out to LA at least once a week, and I'm about to be driving even more than that soon because of all the travel I'm doing to training camps and games. So the cash back on gas in particular is really valuable to me, just like I'm sure it's valuable to many of you. On the app, all you have to do is claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, and then pay as you normally do with your credit or debit card, and then you get cash back. It's as simple as that, so it's really easy to do, and if you want to try out Upside for yourself, just to make your purchases hurt as little as possible these days, you can download the free Upside app and use promo code BLFB, and that will get you $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that is promo code BLFB, and that will give you $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of at least $10. Thank you again to Upside for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. I do want to hit on the free agency losses, you know, both when it comes to cuts and guys they just didn't retain and trades and all manner of quote unquote losses. You really saw a generation of Vikings kind of say goodbye Anthony Barr no longer there Sheldon Richardson no longer there McKenzie Alexander no longer there Everson Griffin longtime Viking no longer there um Tyler Conklin at tight end he's now with the with the Cardinals or sorry with the Jets Nick Vigil's with the Cardinals Xavier Woods we talked about him when we did the NFC South week he's in Carolina now Mason Cole he's with the Steelers we just did them last week Michael Pierce went back home to the Ravens there was a lot of turnover on this roster, a lot of turnover, not necessarily in a negative way, but you could tell they did kind of want to remake this team in their new image and they were going to prioritize different things and and kind of put their their stamp on this thing 
while they had money and while, quite honestly, they have a Super Bowl window that's still open, they didn't want to waste any time. Um, it's it sucks, I think, you know, to to see some of these Vikings careers end the way they did. But at the same time, I recognize that it was probably necessary for a couple of them. They the the play did no longer match the dollar amount necessary to keep them to put it nicely and this is the gm sort of roster remake statement when you have a strongly defensive leaning head coach in mike zimmer he's going to prioritize stars on defense to run to really run his system to power his system and you're going to end up with a little bit of imbalance in terms of where you spend your dollars and and how many top end players you end up with on the defense and to hire an offensively minded head coach and know that some contracts are going to come due you're going to have to pay justin jefferson a billion dollars to keep playing receiver for you you've got to start shifting that balance or recentering that balance and Quessy came in and said some of these high-priced aging veterans on defense, we need that money back, right? Because we're going to have to do other things with it. We need to rebalance the books, if you want, between offense and defense. And the result is, yeah, some long-time sort of standard bearers for the Vikings moving on. In terms of what they use their money on, uh, let's just kind of do retentions and additions at the same time, because I think they all kind of fall in together. There weren't a whole lot of retentions. They spent most of their... Or not most. <laughs> most of their signings were from third-party teams. In terms of most of the money allocated, it was to Kirk Cousins. Let's be real about it. Who uh, just continues to get unbelievable amounts of guaranteed money. You know, thirty-five million a year at this point. Adam Thielen's getting close to fifteen, even at the the ripe age of thirty-two. Patrick Peterson, you know, also at thirty-two, he's at four million. So just between those players alone, yeah, it's like fifty-five million a year, something like that. But in terms of total number of players, most of their resources, or rather, most of their roster spots, were allocated to people from other programs. Harrison Phillips was brought in. Jordan Hicks was brought in, probably to be a starter early on next to Eric Kendricks, although I have to imagine Brian Osamoa might push him a little bit for playing time by the second half of the season just because of what he brings from a physical skill set standpoint. Uh, Chris Reed was brought in um, to probably be the backup to uh, Ezra Cleveland and uh, Jesse Davis, maybe even Ed Ingram. I think he'll be like the backup swing guard, I would imagine. Jesse Davis also was brought in presumably to start at guard, but I I kind of feel like Ed Ingram might actually win that job just because I really like Ed Ingram, Ed Ingram, excuse me, as a prospect. But regardless, still brought him in for $3 million, worth mentioning. Albert Wilson was brought in, which even if he's wide receiver four for them, which I'd be willing to bet he's at most four, that's still a great wide receiver four. That's an awesome pickup for them. Uh, Zedarius Smith was another big one at $14 million. He's going to be a starter at edge across from Daniel Hunter already you know very familiar with what they like to do in this type of system so made total sense uh and then Shannon Sullivan also brought in probably will be their nickel early on but it's possible that depending on what happens between Dantzler and Booth you know maybe if Dantzler steps it up and he's starting outside maybe Booth pushes him for nickel that's a question that will be answered during camp but either way I'd be willing to bet that he's still getting significant snaps, at least as a dime corner. So, again, in terms of number of players that will get significant snaps, 
It's mostly from outside teams. In terms of dollar allocation, it's to their big three of Cousins, Thielen, and Peterson. Those were the only guys they really, really wanted to keep out of all of the previous regime's star veteran type players. Yeah, they tossed the money at the homegrown or at least was on the roster last year talent. Uh, I laughed about Jordan Hicks because they said the exact same thing about him at the last stop, right? Oh, yeah, the new guys are going to come in and push him. He's more athletic. Jordan Hicks, nope, clawed his way right back onto the field, got the captain's C back and stayed. <laughs> Couldn't be dislodged, although he's making a lot less money than the To be league. fair, the Cardinals and linebackers just don't mix at this point. I'm I don't know you, why, but it, <laughs> it it's just doesn't just work out. Funny to hear the record played back, right? Uh, he's, you know, Jordan Hicks is probably chuckling too. Like, oh yeah, they said that last time too. We'll see. Like Jordan Hicks a lot as a player. I think he will be the immediate starter for sure and probably hold off the rookie for a while. Osmo has got some real flashes, but also some things to learn. And Jordan Hicks is a great teacher for that. You get somebody like that for $5 million, it's a solid value. Harrison Phillips is interesting to me because I'm not so sure. I think he could have been a quote-unquote Zimmer guy under the old regime, but the fact that this regime goes out and puts you know $6.5 towards him as a rotational interior defensive lineman says they believe and they want that style. I liked what he did for the Bills when he was there. Interesting that to try and identify what Donatell and Patton want and which roles they need filled. 6.5 is a pretty solid investment for that role, uh, that position. So little bit, little window into what a new regime values uh, and a new coaching staff really wants to make their defensive scheme tick. Um, those are the two that really stuck out to me. At a minimum, I think that they got three starters out of these signings, potentially four. It does kind of depend on on you know how early do these rookies play and keep in mind under the old regime rookies were usually not called upon to start early like even Stefan Diggs for as good as he was it took a while for Zimmer to finally allow him on the field and then he was immediately great and then they couldn't justify keeping him on the bench anymore but even Diggs as great as he was couldn't even get playing time early it was hard for rookies to get snaps early. So I'm curious to see how the, the new regime integrates the rookies in, like whether or not, you know, they're giving Lewis seen early snaps, Andrew Berth early snaps, whether or not Ingram, you know, wins the, the right guard job, which if it was up to me, he's probably the most talented one there. So he would probably win it. But um, we know under the old regime, they'd have no shot under the new one. Maybe they do, but uh, their draft, speaking of their draft, from top to bottom, was extremely talented. And I think that they do legitimately have a shot to get maybe four or five rookie starters out of this class, which would be, in terms of NFL average, way above expectation for most teams. Going to be tough to do just because of the amount of talent on the roster. I think if you took this draft class and plugged it in on a lot of other rosters around the NFL, yeah, you'd have that many starters almost guaranteed. Here it's going to be tough for them to crack into that, but let's just go through it. A lot of picks here, a lot of talent. Round one, pick 32. They pick up Lewisine, the safety from Georgia. Great all-around player. I know some Vikings fans were like, really, a first-round safety? Make no mistake about it. They needed Lewisine. There is no one else to fill that hole in a roster, and he is an insanely talented player. So, 
going to slot in next to Harrison Smith, be an immediate starter, and I think an immediate difference maker. Round two, pick 42, Andrew Booth Jr., the cornerback from Clemson, who a lot of people didn't think, including me, that he was going to be there uh, that far down. He is. They benefit. Again, they need some youth in the secondary. They get it. Does he need to start right away? No. Cameron Dantzler, I still have faith in. He's going to be backing him up. But if he falters, Andrew Booth Jr., who I like a lot, is going to be there. And uh, kind of like you said with Diggs, once he gets on the field, I think it might be tough to dislodge him. He's very <laughs> experienced corner, played against a lot of the top receivers in this draft, and had interceptions against most of them. Uh, round two, pick 59, Ed Ingram, the guard from LSU you were talking about, you know, three picks in the first two rounds and they come away with a starting safety what will be a starting corner probably sooner rather than later and a guard that can push for a starting spot in his rookie year it doesn't have to but could very solid start for Quessy in his first draft uh round three pick 66 they get brian Osamoa, the linebacker from oklahoma very athletic had more buzz early in the process and then more people dug into sort of the all-around aspect of his game uh and he started to drop a little bit which is why he was still available there in the third round um tons of talent and minnesota's got a thing for athletic linebackers or at least they did under the old regime he's a bit undersized but i think uh could play very well in donatel's version of a back seven because he can get outside and cover like even if it's a running back he can get outside and cover Round four, pick 118, they get a Caleb Evans, the corner from Missouri. Big dude that plays very physical brand of ball. will be able to drop in um, behind some of the existing Vikings corners, uh, mirror that style, pick up what he needs in Donatel's defense. This feels very much like a Donatel pick to me. Like, I know, oh, it's, yeah. I know it's from the old scouting staff. It, this feels like a Donatel pick. Like, they looked at Ed Donatel and said, do you like this guy? And he was like, I'll take him. Like he's heavy, he's heavy handed on the outside. He plays physical. He can push to the boundary. Yeah. Let's go get him round five, pick 165. This is a guy we spent some time on pre-draft really focused on. It says he Otomewo. I knew I was going to blow it. Um, defensive end from Minnesota, who was the thunder, not the lightning in that Minnesota defensive lineup. He is insanely talented athletically brings a ton of power has some technique to work on, is more of the, uh, if you're talking about defensive end or edge, I had him listed as a defensive end. He feels like a big, powerful five, but he shows flashes of speed. If he gets refinement um, on this defensive line, look out. His He's nowhere near his ceiling athletically, and if he develops the way we hope he will, this homegrown product was they weren't giving him any hometown discount by drafting him just because he went to Minnesota. He has every bit of potential to develop into a full-time starter for them down the road. Round five, not going to lie, pick 169, one of my favorite guys in the entire draft, Ty Chandler, the running back from North Carolina. We got to see him up close to Shrine Bowl. Uh, I had him much more highly ranked than most other people in the draft. I think he can do it all, and I think he can do it right now. He's not going to need to. He enters, again, a very talented running back room. He can. If they if the running backs ahead of him just disappeared for some reason and they had to plug Ty Chandler in day one, he would produce run game, pass game, big play, breakaway, 
broken tackles, great cuts. I just think he's a do-it-all running back. There were a lot of them in this draft, hence his availability all the way down in round five. Round six, they had two picks. The first one, 184, Verdarian Lowe, the tackle from Illinois. We talked about him in yesterday's episode when we were talking about his center, Doug Kramer, who was drafted by the Bears. Verdarian Lowe is actually a guy we got to interview at Shrine Bowl, sit down and talk with. He was fascinating, played for Lovey, had a lot of insights about uh, Big Ten, about playing against people like Ohio State um, as a freshman and, and talking about the completely alien level of talent there. Really like his mental makeup. Uh, be interesting to see where he fits into their offensive line plan under Kevin O'Connell's offensive system. As a person, one of the coolest guys we sat with. Really like him. Love him. Yeah, just him. a great, great dude. Very intellectual approach to understanding what he's going to do physically on the field. Doesn't mean he's a bookworm. He's a big dude. Um, but fascinating to see how he fits into that rotation over time. Uh, second pick in round six, 191. Jalen Naylor, the wide receiver from Michigan State, had some athletic buzz. It was mostly athletic buzz, needs some refinement. But again, Minnesota has experience with taking uh, very athletically gifted wide receivers and developing them over time. Uh, in fact, you know, their third wide receiver right now, KJ Osborne, was a guy I loved coming out of Miami who had more athleticism than refinement. And he's turned into a fantastic wide receiver. So uh, if there's hope for Jalen Naylor, being in Minnesota is a good thing for him. And then last pick. Uh, round seven, number 227, Nick Muse, the tight end from South Carolina, who I thought was vastly overlooked. Again, another, they picked pretty heavily on the Shrine Bowl. We saw Nick Muse make play after play during our week at the Shrine Bowl. Um, but Nick Muse, Verdarian Lowe, Ty Chandler, uh, I thought there was one other, uh, were all Shrine Bowl guys. So they definitely leaned on the staff they had there, picked several guys out of that game. Um, overall top to bottom, really interesting class. I think a very different class than Spielman would have picked, uh, for the Vikings, but what'd you think of it top to bottom? So uh, I thought that athleticism was really at a premium when I was looking at, cause Andrew Booth, um, you know, again, was, was hurt during the pre-jab process, but he is a freak athlete, obviously Lewis seen, um, again, was a little bit banged up during not just the season, but also kind of going into the pre-draft process. He's also got incredible range, and he's a massive hitter, and, you know, he played a whole bunch of snaps for Georgia. He's a he's about as rock-solid and versatile as they come. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that as good as Harrison Smith has been for them, I think that Lewisine could be just as good. He's that type of prospect. He's awesome. Uh, Ed Ingram, not the best run blocker, but in terms of pass protector he really showed off his athleticism as a pass protector his ability to mirror effortlessly against the best the sec had to offer he's a great athlete brian osamoa not refined at all as a linebacker but <laughs> fuck he can run yeah. <laughs> like he's really really fast he's flashy and, and i think they're they're counting on eric kendricks to to kind of you know take him under his wing and show him how to be an athletic uh, how to be an athletic undersized linebacker and still make it in the league they're hoping that he can be another eric kendricks unlikely because eric kendricks is great but 
again, that's the mold here. Um, Cesio Domewo, I really want to bring up his athleticism because he's a 6'5", 280-pound, 5 technique with 35-inch arms who even when injured at his pro day, didn't even finish his pro day because he started it, you know, coming off injury and then tweaked it again in the middle of the pro day before he got hurt with a bad hammy, still jumped 35 and a half in the vertical, which at 6'5", 280 is nuts. Like, he is yeah. an absurd athlete in his own right. Ty Chandler, 4'3 speed, slasher, great slasher. He's got tons of juice. Um, and then Nick Muse, also underrated athlete as well. Jalen Naylor, great deep threat when he was at Michigan State. It is speed and speed and speed and juice and juice and juice. Like that was what they really went after was building the fastest team they possibly can. And I respect it. And and I do think that, again, we're looking at minimum three, potentially up to five rookie starters here. If Otomewo, if Otomewo, uh, excuse me, turns into what I think he can be, I think he could legitimately be a starter for them. Because as much as I liked Watts when he was coming out in 2019, and uh, as much as I, I really liked the, the Harrison Phillips signing, Otomeo was more talented than both of them. And I'm sorry, there's there's room for snaps there. I really do think that he could... Like, obviously, Dalvin Tomlinson's not going anywhere. He's going to play nose. But if we're <laughs> looking for, like, let's put the best three technique and the best five technique on the field that we can in our base package next to Dalvin... Otomewa has got a legitimate shot of being a starter, even as a rookie fifth-round pick. I love the draft from top to bottom. Scene's great. Booth is great. Ingram's great. It says he's great. Chandler is not going to see the field because of the backfield he's in, but he's great. Ah, I they, they crushed it. They absolutely crushed it. And that's why, like, this draft honestly gave me more hope for the Vikings' future than anything else because... I think it showed that they are in very capable hands in terms of roster construction. Um, and I think that it, 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 it wasn't a rebuild, it was a reload. And they did so admirably. And I'm glad they crushed the draft because Quessies might have a thing or two to learn about UDFAs. Who knows? He's a lot smarter than me, so I'm not <laughs> going to take him to task for it. They brought in a very small class and there weren't a lot of highlights. They definitely didn't prioritize the process. Uh, there really were only two guys that I want to talk about. Bryant Kobach, the running back from Toledo, is one. Fun, but again, on this roster, he is depth, depth, depth. He's fifth, probably, in this running back rotation. Uh, and the other one was a guy that got some sort of very deep pre-draft buzz, the edge from Wake Forest, Luigi Villain. You know, he has, he showed flashes, he definitely shows the ability to penetrate and get by people. He's going to have to develop. Those are the two that I tabbed out of their class as interesting. Um, in terms of comparing it to other UDFA classes around the league, I'm glad they nailed the draft because there's not a ton here. doesn't mean these players won't stick. doesn't mean they won't end up on the roster. doesn't mean they you know, might not fill the practice squad. They could. Those are the only two that had any sort of pop in my mind. Um, so I'm glad they had a very deep and very talented draft class. I want Valaine to make it just for the name alone. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like Luigi Valaine, come on. That's all name team every year for the next 10 years. He better make it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, under the old regime, you know, one of the things Zimmer's teams did extremely well was take, you know, 
edge prospects. I don't want to say out of nowhere, but they have a long history of grabbing folks that were less well-regarded uh, in draft circles around the league and turning them into absolute slayers on the defensive line. Uh, be interesting to see with the new staff if they're able to continue that really strong tradition. I mean, Minnesota was always one of the places if we had somebody that was really athletic or showed some flashes but needed a lot of work, we're like, man, if he lands in a place like Minnesota, I could see him turning into a starter in two or three years. Uh, be interesting to see if they maintain that mantle or if it moves on to another team. Well, even looking at their depth chart right now, like DJ Wanham, you know, showed a lot. Uh, and he was a fourth round pick a couple of years ago. Patrick Jones, we had a whole lot of hope for um, just in terms of tools. He was a third round pick for him. Like, there are some young guys that that have a shot here. And I, I have no less confidence in the current coaching staff to develop them than I did in the previous coaching staff, which, as you mentioned, had a knack for developing day two and day three edge rushers. So Villain still has a shot to make the roster, but it'll be his the fifth edge and not the third edge because they got yeah. some other dudes there that are pretty good. Uh, all right. Final segment, team floor, team ceiling. This is where we project their floor in wins versus their ceiling in wins. There's a range for every single team. We just try to give the range that we think they could finish in because predicting the exact wins and losses at this point is completely impossible. For me, the floor is seven. I would be absolutely stunned if a team this talented won less than seven games. Something catastrophic would have to happen. Like, you know, Kirk would have to miss most of the year. Jefferson would have to miss most of the year. And, you know, you're looking at if their receiving core is like a one-two combination of Adam Thielen and Amir Smith-Marset with <laughs> Sean Mannion throwing them the ball. Okay, fine. You can sell me on five or six wins. But that's what it would have to take to get there. In terms of ceiling, I think we're looking at an 11-win team here. 12 is a little rich for my blood, not because I don't think they're a really good team, but the schedule is is nuts. I mean, looking at it from top to bottom, they start with Green Bay, and then they got the Eagles, who are a great team on paper, obviously. The Lions, who if you watch Monday's episode where we talked about Detroit, like they are no pushover anymore, very talented team. The Saints are still just a, a an absolute grind fest to go up against Chicago yeah they're going to beat the shit out of the Bears probably in Minnesota I'd be very surprised if the Bears pulled that one off but then you got Miami you have first half of the season Cardinals which is a much different story than second half of the season Cardinals <laughs> you got the Commanders who have a great defensive front and a great receiving course you never know with them the Bills are a threshing machine the Cowboys on paper very talented the Patriots should be better this year and they were already pretty good last year then they got the Jets, and then another rematch with the Lions, and then the Colts, who are insanely talented, and the Giants, who theoretically have some pieces. I still think they beat the Giants, but it won't be easy. Then you got the Packers again, and then you finish with the Bears. They could probably sweep the Bears, but even then, I'm finding 11 wins there, not necessarily 12 to 13. Not because they aren't a threat, but it's just getting through all of these really 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 good rosters is going to be tough to do again they have a shot but i think the goal here is just get to january with a rookie head coach and you know a brand new staff and just get to the playoffs and then figure it out from there if you need to be road warriors so be it but just rule number one or objective number one play football in january and hope for the best and i think that absolutely they could still do that 
On the floor, absolutely agree with you. Seven wins. Many things would have to go wrong for this team to win less than seven. On the top end, I'm only one tick off you. Still double-digit wins. I go. I went with 10 as a ceiling. I'm still in prove-it mode with the Vikings, and they do have a rookie head coach, and that may cost them a game somewhere when they're figuring out game management, although they do have a coach dedicated to game management, which is pretty cool to see that labeled in their secondary or in the assistant coaches category, but just feels like I still want to see it happen. Could the roster power them to 11 or even 12 wins? Yeah, the roster is that talented. They're going to have to come together as a team, not just a roster, and that takes some work under a new coaching staff. Everybody's got to get to know each other, and that you know might have them drop a game or two in the beginning of the year when they're still figuring all those things out. That'll keep them out of that sort of 11 or 12 win territory. So I went with 10 as the ceiling, seven as the floor. It's a pretty narrow window, but it is a really talented roster. If they click early and start rolling off some wins, even though that schedule is really tough, watch out. We talked about them being a dark horse at the top of the show that very few people are talking about challenging. They have everything they need to do it. They just have to go and do it now. I know the reflex is to pick the Packers to win the division. Hmm. I think both teams very easily could end up at the same number of wins this season, and it's coming down to tiebreakers. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, but Mm -hmm. Devontae was the Viking killer. Devontae was the thing that that honestly made it to the point where I'm automatically picking Green Bay over Minnesota because I just expect Aaron and Devontae to figure it out and pull together these games and get them to 12 and 13. Devontae's not there anymore. You got Aaron Rodgers with a very young receiving core. Even though the defense is still good, the running game should still be good. I think the gap is closed. That one singular loss of a receiver, and this is very rare to say this, but it's Devontae Adams. The one loss of a receiver closed the gap to me. Minnesota to Green Bay. Not to spoil tomorrow's show, but there's it's very hard for me to pick one over the other right now. And I think that if we see the Packers and the Vikings play in the playoffs, it might not be in Green Bay. I'm all for balance in the division. I, as a fan of a team in this division, I'm all for balance. I think wildly unbalanced divisions are boring, uh, where one team wins all the time. AFC East was that way for a long time with the Patriots. It was just a foregone conclusion that the Patriots are going to win, and then everybody else is fighting for second, third, or fourth place, trying to get the extra playoff spot. It's been that way in the NFC North for a long time. Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Fame quarterback, presumptive favorite until he's not there. But you're right, Devontae Adams is not just a receiver, he is the best receiver in the league, and it is consensus. No one right now is saying, oh, but what about this other guy? No, it's Devontae Adams and then somebody else. So it is a major loss for them. It does make the gap more narrow. If we're talking about late season tiebreaker stuff with Aaron Rodgers still at the helm and healthy... I'm not betting on Kirk Cousins to take down Aaron Rodgers. Is the overall roster more talented? Uh, it's I'd say equally talented. The defense is really good in Green Bay. Running game is really good in Green Bay. Wide receiver core is nowhere near as good as Minnesota's wide receiver core, I don't think. 
is the quarterback much better? Yeah, and he's proved it. Over oh, and over it's not again. close. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to lean on Aaron Rodgers until further notice. But you know, in to back up your point of is the gap smaller than it was last year? And the answer is yeah, it is. If Jimmy Garoppolo can do it, throwing 19 passes and throwing for 130 yards and a pick, Kirk can do it. Not saying oh, it's, it's possible. Totally likely, but he and can do it. <laughs> and hot Kirk Cousins can definitely do it because we haven't mentioned this, but Kirk Cousins I always refer to as uh, you know the microwave, and you know mm-hmm. old school Detroit Pistons basketball fans will recognize the will recognize the nickname and. Hot Kirk Cousins is totally different. He is on a different plane. He he can shred anybody. It's that he's not that all the time. Yeah, you he's, never know when you're going to get it. Yeah, Taylor Two Cities. When he's on a heater, forget about it. You're not stopping him. He'll he'll shred everybody. Best defenses in the league and make it look easy. And that's I know the frustrating thing for all the Vikings fans is seeing that and then going, why can't you just put some version of that on display? every week even if it's only for a quarter because they'll have hot games and then they'll have games where you know he's not bad but he's just very 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 average not uh, bad but not enough no he, he doesn't rise in those big moments and they know he can everybody knows he can it's will he and again i'm that's why i'm in prove it mode with the vikings totally fair opinion because at this point after all these years why wouldn't you be in prove it mode with the Vikings? They are yeah. a perpetual prove it mode organization where <laughs> it's very much like me and the Jets, where it's like every single year I'm like, oh yeah, this is the year they're going to be fine, and then we end up where at the same spot every single year where I'm like, God damn it, okay, well next year, next year is the year, every single year. But this is the year, EJ. I promise, this is the okay. Year. They're going to knock off Green Bay. <laughs> I, you know, if they knock off Green Bay, more power to them. <laughs> Uh, at least somebody besides the Packers will win this goddamn division. <laughs> right. Uh, but speaking of the Packers, we're going to talk about them tomorrow. And I have no animosity towards Green Bay. They're a very talented team. They have a lot of things for Packers fans to be excited about. And we will go over all of them. And Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. They could still very much win this thing. But we're going to dive into a little bit a little bit of why the Devonte Adams loss is is still a big deal, even though they drafted a couple young kids that we really like. But we'll save that for tomorrow's show. Uh, hope you come back for that one. Most Packers fans already ran away, but uh, we'll see you guys same time tomorrow, same place for a little bit of Packer talk. And uh, until then, later. Take care.